This morning, Will will be teaching us out of Daniel chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 34 to 35. So that's Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for bringing us together this morning. God, we praise you for your kingdom that is stable and everlasting. We praise you for your power and glory and that you choose to have a relationship with us and invite us into your kingdom. We ask for open hearts and minds to receive, understand, and apply your word. Fill will with the power of your Holy Spirit to instruct us in your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. All right, so like uh, Maggie just said, we are going to be looking at Daniel chapter 4 this morning. Um, And I personally love uh, the book of Daniel because there's really a lot of incredible stories that show us God's power, his faithfulness, and ultimately illustrates the gospel in some really cool ways. Um, So a look behind the curtain for everyone. As I began prepping for this message, I thought that um, I wanted to do a complete overview of the book of Daniel and just kind of hit the high points briefly as we move through it. Um, from there, I decided that I was just going to, um, or so as I was studying through the book, I made it to chapter four and I realized that I was never going to make it through, um, the entire book and just hit the high points. It's going to be way too long of a message. Um, so from there, I decided to just do chapters four and five because they both, um, tell stories that have very important truths. Um, and even that was going to be too much. I still didn't think I would have enough time to cover everything. So I landed on just doing chapter four. And the only reason that I tell everyone that is really I just want to stop and say you're welcome for not teaching on the entire book of Daniel because we would have been here for a while. But um, chapter 4 has some really, really um, cool and important truths that I want to look at this morning. Um, But before we jump in, um, if you have a Bible with you, you're definitely going to want that out. Um, Feel free also to shamelessly walk and grab a Bible off the shelf back there if you'd like a a paper copy, but um, also the verses will be on the screen behind me. So as we get ready to take a deep dive into chapter 4, we really need to understand what has already happened in the book of Daniel to understand the context of the story. So the book starts with the Babylonian Empire attacking Jerusalem uh, in roughly 600 BC and taking with them some of the Jewish people as exiles to Babylon. This attack was led by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king in Babylon. The Babylonians, they did things kind of differently than a lot of other um, famous world-conquering nations because when they attacked a city or nation, they didn't just seek to destroy everyone and everything that they came in contact with. Um, What they would often do is take captives, and then they would work to assimilate them into the Babylonian culture as either servants or slaves. Um, And what they would do is they would remove them from their homeland and then indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. And they would look for the best and brightest young people to use to their advantage. And that's precisely what happened to Daniel and the other guys that most of us know from the book, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So in the first three chapters of Daniel, there's three different scenarios that I want to highlight quickly um, where these guys find themselves uh, in places that that are going to put their faith to the test in the face of opposition and sometimes even death. So uh, the first situation they're put in, this is chapter 1, they have to choose whether or not they're going to assimilate into Babylonian culture or remain faithful to God. Long story short, they remain faithful to God, and his name is made great. And King Nebuchadnezzar, for the first time in this story, takes notice of these guys and how they're faithful to their God. Some time passes, and we move into chapter 2, and we come to another story where King Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream that he just can't get out of his head. He cannot shake this dream. And so he calls in everyone in his kingdom who interprets dreams and asks them to tell him what his dream is and how to interpret it. Now, I want to make sure you understand that. He's saying, I had this dream. I'm not going to tell you what this dream is. I need you to tell me what this dream was and then tell me what the interpretation is. It's like an impossible task, essentially. And this hits a tipping point when he gets so worked up about it that he threatens to kill every wise man in the nation if nobody can tell him his dream and then interpret it for him. Now, those wise men that he's threatening to kill, that includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So in the face of opposition and death, they rely on the Lord for wisdom and the protection that they need, and God reveals to Daniel the dream and its meaning. And as a result of God's mercy, they're spared, and Daniel interprets the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And then King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that there is something special about Daniel's God and promotes him and his friends to a very high-ranking place in the kingdom. So that's the second time where King Nebuchadnezzar has taken notice of God. Now, the last story we see um, that we're going to talk about quick is in chapter 3, and it's one that most people are quite familiar with. King Nebuchadnezzar has a statue of himself made, a big golden statue, and he commands that everyone is going to bow down and worship the statue when we play all these special musical instruments. So Daniel, during this story, is actually away. He's not in this story, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are in this story, being faithful to God, they refuse to bow down and worship. And the reason that they do this is because it would have gone in direct contradiction of the command to worship no other gods but the one true God. So as a result of their refusal, they're thrown in the fiery furnace to be killed. And they are again spared by God's mercy and protection. And this again causes King Nebuchadnezzar, now for the third time, to acknowledge God's power and greatness. But it doesn't really affect any real change in how he lives. He's acknowledged it three times, but he's still doing his thing. So that's the context, chapters 1, 2, and 3, leading up to chapter 4. So let's jump in and see what we, um, see what we can learn from chapter 4. Uh, something important to note at the beginning of chapter 4 is there's a little bit of a perspective shift in how uh, we should be reading the story, because um, up until this point, it, it wasn't written um, from this perspective. But chapter 4, it's written as a, a statement from King Nebuchadnezzar. It's written as a declaration from him, him, uh, him himself. So the first three verses are him proclaiming the greatness of God and all that he has done for him. An example of what he says is, how great are his signs? How mighty are his wonders? So right here at the start of chapter 4, we need to notice that King Nebuchadnezzar is clearly praising God. Let's put that in perspective. The pagan king that we just saw trying to kill people for not worshiping him is now worshiping God. He took God's people captive. He attacked Jerusalem but now he's worshiping God. He had a huge golden statue of himself built so people could worship him, but now he's worshiping God. So how did he arrive here? How does a huge narcissist arrive at the conclusion 
that God is the Lord of all and above all earthly kings and rulers. The rest of chapter 4 is King Nebuchadnezzar telling us that story. So the next chunk of verses that we're going to look at, verses 4 through 18, um, we're told that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream once again, and he's looking for someone to give him an interpretation. Now remember, this isn't the first time that he has had a dream of significance in the book of Daniel. Back in chapter 2, he had a dream that I briefly mentioned before, and Daniel was the only one who could interpret that dream by God's mercy. And his life was spared as a result of interpreting that dream. So similar to chapter 2, nobody can interpret the king's dream until Daniel arrives on the scene. So we're going to jump into the story now at verse 8. Verses 8 and 9 we're going to look at. It says, At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, uh, chief of the... Chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the vision of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. So based on those two verses, we can understand and see that Daniel has rapport with King Nebuchadnezzar. He trusts him and he has confidence in him because of the ways that Daniel has served him in the past. So he brings Daniel in again because he would like to come to some sort of resolution as to what's going on in this dream. So let's look at what the actual dream is. We're going to start in verses 10 through 12. It says, The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. So let's recap. Just make sure we're all on the divides page. Action for those under it. Um, let's continue on in verses 13 through 17 to see where the, the dream goes from here. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from man's, And let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. So this big tree, it's healthy, produces abundant fruit, provides protection for those under it, is now supposed to be chopped down. And even though it's supposed to be chopped down, it's not supposed to be completely destroyed. The stump, the roots, they're supposed to be left behind. Now I want you to notice something in verse 16. This this tree becomes personified. It says, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. So this personified tree is to be punished by the decree of the watchers. And it says, so that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. So as we keep on moving in the story, that's, that's the full dream. That's what Nebuchadnezzar saw. 
As we keep moving in the story, we find Daniel before the king feeling very uncomfortable because he realizes that the interpretation of this dream is really not looking good for the king. He even goes so far as to say to the king, let this interpretation be for your enemies. He's like, this is not going to be good. This is what I would liken to the original don't shoot the messenger statement. Daniel realizes that the king is not going to like what he has to say, but he's going to say it anyways. So here's the interpretation, verses 20 through 26. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of your tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So clearly this is not a good interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar, because of his pride, is going to be humbled before the Lord. And it's not like the you've been called out for being mean type of humbled. It's like the losing your kingdom and your sanity type of humbled. Like he's living with the cows and chickens and eating grass type of humbled. He's going to be completely humiliated. Until what? Until he knows that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Wow. So in verse 27, you can see Daniel's urgency for the king to repent. Let's take a look at verse 27. This is Daniel saying, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So unfortunately for the king, even with Daniel's counsel, Daniel's interpretation of this dream, he's sinful, he's prideful, and he does not repent. And he continues on like nothing ever happened until 12 months later, as he's literally standing on a rooftop, admiring his kingdom and his prosperity, a voice from heaven comes and passes judgment. And this dream comes to fruition. Now, we aren't given the exact details as to how long this judgment lasted, other than being told seven periods of time will pass over him. Now, the number seven is significant in Scripture because it often represents completion. For example, God created the world in seven days. It was completed in seven days. So Nebuchadnezzar was under judgment for seven periods of time, or you could say to completion. So what does completion look like in the story? Let's find out in verses 34 and 35. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. 
And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So completion in this story, to me it seems like long enough for Nebuchadnezzar to realize who's actually in charge. He immediately praises God when his reason returns to him. And we're told that his kingdom is returned to him, and uh, he's given even more. His kingdom continues to grow. And now the last verse I want to look at is verse 37. It's the last verse of this chapter, um, and it, it, it's like the perfect ending to the story. It ties up all the loose ends for us. So um, let's look at and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. In those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's awesome, awesome last line. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So this story, chapter 4, it's an incredible first-hand experience of someone who was an enemy to God. And no matter, how much, or no matter what he did, he couldn't escape the fact that God had ultimate control and authority. So that's all we're going to look at as far as um, chapter 4. But I think there's, there's really two important points of application that we need to hit on. The first point of application is going to be more big picture. Um, the second point of application is more personal. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of Daniel uh, and all the other Jews that were exiled to Babylon. They were dragged from their homeland against their will. They're indoctrinated into a culture that I'm sure they didn't want anything to do with. And then from there, they served the king who was responsible for all of it. And throughout the book of Daniel, you get the sense that what's going on with Daniel, his friends, and all the Jews, although it is judgment for their sins, it is really not good. They're faced with very real evil. And it can sometimes be hard to put ourselves in Daniel's shoes because we haven't been dragged from our homelands. We haven't been taken captive by another country. But in another sense, there's a real way that a lot of people in this room can resonate with the hardship and evil in this book. And if you really think about it, the world around us is filled with hardship and evil. Sex trafficking, school shootings, genocide, unjust political leaders, broken families, That's like a few examples of what could be a never-ending list. We could sit here for a very long time and come up with things. All these things, they can pile up into this mountain of junk, and it makes us feel like the world is just falling apart. Like, who's in control, and how are all these bad things continuing to happen over and over and over? But what's so cool about the book of Daniel is that we don't stay there. It's a message of hope. Although the world around Daniel was crumbling and he was forced into a world that he never wanted to be in, his life was on the line, God was still in control. Multiple times, his life and his friends' lives were on the line and God never abandoned them. He was merciful to them. He gave them what they needed to persevere when things got ugly. And this story that we looked at today proves that nobody is outside of the reach of God's just hand. The most powerful king in the world at this time was brought to his knees. His title, his dignity stripped away so that God's name could be made great. And from his own mouth at the end of the story, he rightfully admits the truth about God. He says, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. Those are the words of Nebuchadnezzar, but those are the words of a man humbled by God. Nobody, nobody around Nebuchadnezzar would have ever expected to see him humbled in this way. But God's power and God's authority cut right through any power and authority that he thought he might have. I feel like I can find myself at times looking at the world around me and feeling hopeless. There's so much brokenness. There's so much hurt. There's so much injustice. And I often feel like I'm completely powerless to do anything about it. And I'm sure I'm not the only person who feels that way. But the reality is the book of Daniel speaks right to that hopelessness. When the world feels like it's crumbling... God is in control now as much as he was thousands of years ago, and he will continue to be in control until the end of time. The world can seem hopeless, but God has not abandoned us, and God has not forgotten us. His power and control should give us hope that motivates faithfulness. We are not fighting a losing battle when we push back against sin and brokenness. We are not fighting a losing battle when we pray for the oppressed and the abused. We're not fighting a losing battle when we ask God to be merciful because his mercy is everywhere around us. So the big point of application is don't lose hope. Don't grow weary in faithfulness. Even when everything seems like it's falling apart, God is in control. We need faith to trust that God is in control. And with God in control, there is always hope. So that's point one. That's big picture application. Not only does this story push us to kind of look at the big uh, picture, though, and remain faithful to God when the world around us looks hopeless, it also pushes us to look inward at our own hearts. So there's a theme throughout the book of Daniel centered around uh, this idea of the beast. In this story specifically, Nebuchadnezzar is made like a beast because of his arrogance towards God. He was the king of his castle, and he felt untouchable. And all of that pride and arrogance was all for nothing, though, when faced with the reality that he was not quite as awesome as he thought he was. This story, it pictures the gospel so well because all of us are like beasts before God in our sin. Pride is the most basic form of sin. And in my opinion, all other sin flows out of pride. Now, not all of us are kings like Nebuchadnezzar who have absolute say over everything and we we feel untouchable. But... Every human being, since the beginning of time, has made the conscious choice to do things the way that they want to do them. And at some point, we all believe the lie that the way we think and what we want to do is best. And when we do that, we put ourselves on the throne of our own lies and we remove God from the throne that he alone deserves to sit on. When we make that decision to live for ourselves, we all deserve the same thing. And scripture is very clear about that. It says that the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we deserve death. Because of our pride, we deserve death. Because of our pride, we are like beasts before God. It is a completely hopeless situation if you don't know the end of the story. Elevated the Lord to his rightful place as Lord of all. And we, too, have the same opportunity to receive grace when we put our trust in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself, and he died the death that we deserved. 
He made himself a beast before God, so we don't have to be anymore. And we're offered the free gift of salvation if we're willing to lay down our pride and have the faith to submit our lives to Jesus. We're called to trust that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is the only way that we can be made right before the Lord. Nothing can be said by us. Nothing can be done by us. It is only through our faith in Jesus that we're saved. And that is the greatest message of hope that there ever has been and there ever will be. We are lost and we are hopeless, but with Jesus we're found and we belong. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for your word and the truth that we find in your word. Um, And and God, your word is so dynamic and and active and the way that it um, can teach us and mold our hearts is is so um, multifaceted, God. It's just such a blessing. Um, Whether we're we're sitting here this morning feeling that the world around us is hopeless and, and we just don't have anywhere to turn, God. Um, your word tells us that you're in control. You're in control of all things and you have our best interest in mind at all times. Um, God, and whether we're sitting here this morning realizing that, wow, I am kind of a prideful person, um, God, your word speaks right to that as well. We don't have to fix ourselves, God. We don't have to do anything on our own. We need to just trust in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And God, as we have the opportunity to celebrate communion here in a few minutes, I just ask that you prepare our hearts for that. And God, um, whether we put our faith in Jesus or or whether we haven't, God, uh, help us all to um, really just make a a deep, profound connection with you that spurs us to life change. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.